Welcome back to the Peak to Too Early podcast. This is season four, episode 15 of the pod. I am your host, Blake Munchell, and I am joined by the ever lovely Oscar Saywell. Oscar, how are you doing? Hello, I'm good. I'm feeling proud of us. I feel like we have regularly scheduled programming on this podcast over the last couple of months. In fact, I think this has been the most consistent posting season we've had um, since we started this podcast years ago now, which is kind of crazy to to say. Um, But yes, I'm good. I had a good weekend. I'm looking forward to talking about football. Blake, how are you? I know the last few hours must have been a bit of a bummer for you. Um... I am choosing to see the better side of things. Uh, rise above it. You know, if there's any domestic competition I want to be eliminated from, yeah, you know, the it's the yeah. Thai energy drink, uh, Mickey Mouse cup. Yeah. Uh, I will, you know, if it means we win the FA Cup, I'll take it. Okay. Um, okay, fair enough. And yeah, it is very much offset by a great match day uh, this past weekend. Yeah, back of the bag. To talk about. Um, I feel like there's a hundred different places we could go. Yeah. Um, Did you have a specific place to start talking? Um, You know, I feel like on, on, on weekends like this, I figure we may as well start with either Newcastle or West Ham. Um, or maybe we could sort of get one of the sadder things out of the way. Maybe we could just chat briefly about Tom Lockyer. Um, acknowledge that he collapsed in the Bournemouth-Luton game this weekend, which was subsequently abandoned. Um, after having heart trouble earlier this year in the playoff final in the championship, um, he was cleared to play again. He's played in the Premier League. Uh, he's been a stalwart this season. But he, I think suffered a cardiac arrest in this game. Um, he did. I don't believe he had to be resuscitated. Um, but he was, yeah, uh, he was taken off the pitch, uh, taken to hospital. There hasn't been many updates since other than he's stable. Um, and yeah, it's a, it's a sad situation. So I sort of wanted to just acknowledge that. And then, and then maybe talk a little bit about the possible uptick we've seen in heart problems in football. I, I don't want to get into anything dicey because we're obviously we're not doctors or scientists but i'm wondering if there's any merit into these this idea that this issue needs to be looked more into that that it needs to be given some more special attention um if there's anything behind the statistics that this is becoming a bigger problem in football um yeah i don't know how much how, how big of a problem is this like if you had a kid who was in the academy right and it was a, and you know well it, let's say if we had kids and they were playing football and really good, and we're in these environments. Would you be worried about this? Like, I don't know. I'm just curious about about this point. Um. So I will start with my very brief research into it. Um, mm. Is that over the last 20 years, heart attacks amongst athletes is decreasing? Oh, okay. Um. You know that is like a you know a 20 year trend and yeah you know, it just says decreasing so i don't know you know how much you know is it significant is it just decreasing um you know how was the study conducted i think they're all i think it was an american study um but 
Um, so, you know, I think there's probably a very decent proportion of it that can get chalked up to visibility. Um, yeah, I think so, too. Yeah. Right. And, you know, this is not like super uncommon. You know, there have been plenty of incidents within our lifetime of professional right, quality yeah. having heart attacks. Um, and yeah, uh, I'm ow, my cat bit my foot. Um, <laughs> he's unhappy he, with your take. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Maybe he's like a anti-vaxxer. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, I'm sure there's something, you know, you know, for some reason there is heart attacks going on. Um, and we see them, I, you know, it feels like we see them all the time. Um, I feel yeah. Like happening a lot more in, in basketball than it is in football. Um, right. But that is unsubstantiated claims. Um, it's just based on what I see. Um, yeah, but yeah, I, it is concerning, especially since it's been like what less than six months. Since yeah, since he his... since he was cleared to play, I think I think that's that's perhaps the better question here with Tom Lockyer because obviously we'd never sort of say don't trust the doctors because always trust the doctors; they know what they're doing. But if I can make a connection to the way that football clubs treat head issues, right? So. For the longest time, you've had, um, you know, little to no legislation in football dealing with head injuries. Um, and it's only recently come in concussion protocols that aren't really, a lot of the time we know that they're not followed properly, um, which I think is an area that needs to be looked into more, probably from sort of a journalistic point of view, at least. But I... I I worry with this, right, where it's like Tom Lockyer was cleared to play six months ago. He suffers heart failure, you know, you know, this weekend. Do you think that it's possible that club doctors are under pressure to, to clear players and they shouldn't be cleared? Do you think that that is an issue that could feasibly be playing out in across sort of like the Premier League right now? Um, or do you think those claims are have no basis, you know? I mean, I think even, you know, in other sports, the um, head injury doctors are always uh, the third party. Um, and I think there's like a, you know, a natural introduction of bias when you're on the club's payroll. Um that you might, you know, be rushing players back from all yeah. injuries, but including head injuries. Um, the my hesitation about the heart injury is just, you know, it's so like visible that. You, so, like, think about it like this: head injuries. There's still a huge population who thinks like, oh, you know, they're not really a big deal. You know, get on with it. Yeah, you just took a lump, you know, get back out there, run it off. Heart attacks, yeah. pretty much everyone agrees across the board that heart attacks are <laughs> a bad thing. Yeah. Um, you know, there there isn't there isn't the same like societal pressure or like locker room pressure to just like ah come on, get on with it. Yeah. You know, it's like the same thing with hamstrings, you know? It's like an injury that you're like, oh, like you know, you're fine. It's just a little, a little niggle. Yeah, a little you know, just, yeah. just get out there, and then 
you know, and something happens. Yeah. But yeah. you know, more and more we're seeing, you know, like, oh, when you get a little niggle, you should actually pull that player off right away. Um, right. And you shouldn't push them to run through the pain. Yeah. Um so yeah. Um I mean, I think it's just a good idea generally to have a third party doctor rather than Yeah. Just club ones, yeah. Like I think you should have, you know, a club medical staff, but maybe yeah. an independent doctor is the one who has to sign off on you know, return to on that. everything. Well, especially with sort of very serious things like this, right? No, I think that's a that's a good point. Um Yeah, I yeah. Well, Tom Lockyer, you know, uh, we all hope the best for him. Um and if if this is the end of of his career, he can be proud of it. Um and obviously the best thing um is is that he's healthy um unless you have anything else to say on that i guess i would advocate shifting to the one other sort of non on the pitch news from this weekend and that's uh steve cooper being sacked by nottingham forest so interesting yeah i generally thought the consensus was you know people were pretty happy with him um mm. And Forest fans especially. Um, oh, they love The him. reaction I have seen has been very, like, I can't believe they sacked him. I would have rather been relegated and With him tried to charge, get him to yeah. bring us back up uh, rather than trying to get Nuno Espirito Santos to yeah. keep us alive. I, I actually like the Nuno. If, if you're going to sack Steve Cooper, I, I actually like the Nuno shout. I think people have forgotten the... I, th- I think people have forgotten the outstanding job Nuno did with Wolves. And I see Nottingham Forest as a similarly resourced, similarly sized club to Wolves, you know, honestly now and certainly as they were back then. Um, and I think Nuno definitely did his best work with that kind of team, right? That had some some tricksters in it and some silky players, but, uh, you know, also had a lot of heart and scrap and, and some some big guys in there too, some physicality. Yeah, that's just yeah, Steve Cooper. Think, no, go ahead. Yeah. So I think with Nuno, I think the main reason why people are like very hesitant to be excited is mm. it's been a couple years since he's been sure you Good. know yeah. uh, accredited manager. In the last few, you know, he's certainly a manager on the downward trend. So mm. I can really see why fans of Forest would be a little bit upset. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, five losses on the spin in the Premier League, uh, some big defeats in there too. I, I mean, it's sad to see the Cooper journey coming to an end because he's a great manager, and I think bringing Forrest from near certain relegation to League One to the Premier League is really no joke, right? Like, the situation that he walked into was dreadful. The fans were disillusioned. It had been years of malaise. They had these random players that you know and they were just buying more and more and more and more of them and it was all this dead wood uh, so you know I, I think especially with an insane owner um the 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 forest have it's it's you know it's an admirable job i don't really know what his future holds i don't what do you see with that i i, I think i don't know a southgate successor maybe that's sort of is that too far i i, I could see that happening um I don't know. Um, He's got the experience I, I, with the England setup. 
Yeah, I wonder if he's gonna get one of these top championship spots. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one he has had success at that level, um, and two, you know, that's usually the way this kind of thing works, right? You know, someone gets someone in the Premier League will get sacked, someone will get poached, and then, you know, there he will be standing in the wings. Um, aren't Sunderland looking for a manager? No, they just appointed. Oh, they Beale. just appointed that. Yeah, yeah, the uh, ex Rangers manager. I forgot. Yeah, wildly unpopular. Wildly, uh, wildly unpopular. But you know, that's the kind of job that I could see him taking. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I think is his name Lam- Lambakis or something. The the owner notoriously volatile. Um, and one of, you know, like the Watford owners has just cycled through managers at a prodigious rate over the last few years. But at the same time, I they stuck with him, you know, like last season for a while when stuff wasn't going well. And it has been, they've been in really poor form. I mean, this is not... Sheffield United and Burnley are very bad, right? Put it that way. Luton have a fraction of the resources of basically anybody else in the league. And and Forest, I see, I I know they have fourteen points, and that and they've got a gap, but they they just look like they're going nowhere. Um, and so I don't know. I don't. I I think it might be somewhat merited this this sacking. Um. Not much yeah. of a better record than Higginbottom, right? Like, I was going to say, like, yes, but one, they did have a patch of good form, uh, you know, in the middle of the season, the, in the middle of the season that has passed. So, yeah, yeah, like match day nine to match day 13 or something. Yeah. Um, and they beat Villa. And yeah, you know, if you're going to be a bottom middle of the table team, you know, those runs where you pick up a bunch of points followed by a run of games where you don't pick up a lot of points is pretty normal. Um, mm. Yeah, they're either coming or they're not coming. You know, Crystal Palace is the same way. Um, there's been times where yeah. Crystal Palace have gone on a run and, you know, three straight wins. And then, you know, right now they're winless in their last five. So, um, yeah, it could have been similar to that, I guess. No, yeah. Yeah. Look at it this way Forest are three points off Palace. But nobody's calling for Roy Hodgson's head right now. Um, yeah, uh, yeah. I but I just... will, I will follow up with saying that, you know, if there is a time to sack a manager, it's now. Yeah. You know, now is pretty much the best time. You can get yeah. them, you know, pretty much three weeks of you know trying yeah. to play uh, the tactics you want to play, and then you hope that. You know, some of the players stick out like sore thumbs, and then you have January, and you can try to max them. Yeah. You know, uh, stopgap some players in, yeah. and who knows? Yeah, the last thing I th- I'll say on it is, I think I think poor show, poor showings against teams that are really around them might have been the killer. Right? They barely scraped past Sheffield United. They drew to Burnley. They drew to Palace. They drew to Luton. They drew to Brentford. Uh, you know, they lost to Everton. They they drew to Wolves. Like, they just did not 
get enough points against the teams that they needed to be picking up points against, simple as. And that's sort of, I think, what separated them from someone like Wolves, who are in a similarly sort of dire situation a few a couple of months ago. Um, but anyway, yeah. yeah Bye, Steve, too, but I guess we'll see you some other time. Yeah, he's going to go, honestly, Watford. Or Oh, I hope not. That will ruin his career. Ruin it. He needs to go to a club that values him. And, you know, Watford is not that. Yeah, I was just looking at the championship table, and I, I, I don't yeah. see any of the West Brom? top managers getting... I don't... Oh, okay, maybe. But I don't West see Brom? any of their managers getting poached. So, and, you know, they're obviously not going to get sacked. So Yeah. I could see yeah, him at Leeds good. if Leeds... Who's at Leeds now? Wagner? Or is it back at Norwich? No, I think Wagner's at Leeds. Um, and if that if they can't close the gap between to Ipswich, maybe, or something like that. But or Birmingham when Wayne Rooney inevitably gets sacked. Oh, that's yeah. a good shot, but bottom of the championship is above Steve Cooper. Are they really? They're not bottom. Oh, they're right, right, yeah. They're pretty miserable down there. They Although I will say I did watch uh, their match against Leicester, um, and they were pretty good. Mm. They've got that 19-year-old midfielder. He scored a brace um, for them. Mm. J- J- Jordan James. Oh, that guy is good. West Ham linked Jordan James. Yes, and they yeah. also have Jay Stansfield, who mm. is the Fulham loanee, who yeah. is incredibly highly rated by yeah. um, Fulham supporters. I th- the rumor is that uh, they're going to let all their strikers walk, and Jay Stansfield is going to lead the line for Fulham next year. Mm, that'd be fun. Um, nice. Yeah, so that's pretty cool. Okay, that has been your championship roundup. Um, Excellent. Do you want to talk West Ham really quickly? Yeah, let's talk West Ham really quickly because West Ham um, had a much-needed consummate victory um, this past weekend. Uh, and we we emerged 3-0 winners against Wolves. Um, and I think that I mentioned it last week that uh, Alvarez and Emerson are really important to the side and I think they proved that we were much more solid in the midfield, we had much more of an attacking threat down the left flank um, but I think the star of the show right now at West Ham is Mohamed Kudus um, I'm really happy that that he's integrated himself into the squad so quickly, I was really worried about that under Moyes um, because he has a bad track record of integrating new signings uh, well, especially attacking signings into his squad Um and look, if he keeps this up, he's going to be the subject of huge bids in the summer um, because his just his ability is just it's, I mean, it's so plain to see um, his work on the ball, his improving work rate off the ball, his physicality, his, his skill. Uh, he's got a great eye for goal. Um, his record yeah, uh, is, is pretty, pretty yeah, nuts. Yeah, exactly. 11, um, 11 and 14. 11 and 14, like right? And and he's creating this great relationship with Pakatar, um, which is good to see. As for the match itself, look, Wolves were... I think the biggest thing I saw here was they were just insanely open. Um, Pakatar and uh, our centre-backs were just putting balls straight through their midfield. Um, I, I don't know enough about football tactics to truly understand what was going on there, but... 
that was really stark. Um, although I, I I do think a huge change in us over the last couple of years is that we have excellent passers now. Um, Pakatar, James Ward Prowse, uh, you know, Zuma and Agurd are, are good long range passers. Um, previously, this was our huge Achilles heel. We couldn't string uh, three passes together without losing it or without someone making an unenforced error. Um, but you know, we've really honed that skill under Moyes, uh, and it's made a big difference in the way that we play. Um, so yeah, um, very happy with this. Bowen continues to be excellent. Um, my West Ham brain looks at this, looks at Mohamed Kudus and says, uh, "We will upset him in the summer." by not selling him and he will go on strike and it, everything will be terrible. But we march on in the league. Yeah, I will not comment on that, but I will ask you, uh, do you think that this lineup against Wolves is West Ham's best possible starting lineup? Um, No, because Alphonse Ariola is not in it. Okay, I was um, just wondering if, yeah. Because Alphonse Ariola is a sensational, underrated goalkeeper. Um, not that Fabianski isn't an able deputy. Um, yeah, I I think this is probably our best lineup, our best starting eleven. Yeah, um, I I I don't think Mavropanos has done enough to displace the Zuma Agud duo there. Um, so, yeah. Yes. This is how I know you're you're wisening up with age a little bit because oh, yeah. I didn't put like Aaron Cresswell mm. uh, in the back line and say that that's no. the best possible combination. No, I mean it would have been a few years last, ago, but no longer. No, last year you would have said that. Yeah, because last year Emerson was incredibly questionable, but either he has sort of grown in the way that he approaches football matches or Moises tweaked the system to suit his style of play more or maybe a little bit of both um, again I also think Alvarez is important there because he covers for Emerson constantly um, yeah yeah um, and then uh, final question for you with January right around the corner do you think the Pakata rumors are going to wheel up again no, because it's no, because West Ham don't need to sell, but also because these allegations are still hanging over his head with the betting stuff. Um, they've gone quiet, but they're by no means gone. I think it, I think that the 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 silence means they're fiercely investigating this. Um, unfortunately, I think it's much more likely that Pakhtar faces a a lengthy ban and a break in contract from West Ham and leaves the club entirely, then then he gets sold for the ninety million that Man City were looking to stump up. Yeah, this is uh, another chapter in the West Ham and Newcastle are mirror clubs saga. Mm. Prominent midfielders getting banned. Um yeah, for but real. yeah, for the same offense. Um but yeah. Oh man uh, yeah, sorry yeah. to bring the mood down. No, no but, problem. But talking of Newcastle, Blake. I was gonna say let's bring the mood up. Are you are you back? Um, are you back? We'll see. Um okay. five points off the top four. Still, right. How like injuries still are yeah. rampant. We just are getting so unlucky. Fabian yeah. Cher pulled up with a hamstring, Joe Linton with a groin. 
Uh, and, you know, I think the concerning thing is in the beginning of the season, a lot of these injuries are freak injuries. And now we're seeing a lot of these injuries are overwork yeah. injuries, uh, which, you know, makes sense. Freak well, injuries yeah. means fewer players, which means the same players have to play over and over and over again in five competitions. Uh, and, you know, finally, it's starting to catch up with us. I'm still hopeful, you know, like, you know, players like Sven Botman are returning and Dan Byrne has returned um, and is yeah, and scored. And, yeah, and Emil Krath um, is a, an excellent, you know, one of the players of kind of the last 10 matches, maybe. Um, Lewis Miley, yeah. you know, is has slotted in and been sensational, which I will talk yeah. about. But first, this match, um, pretty much highlighted by Raul Jimenez with one of the most egregious mm. red cards Crazy. you will see in a long time. It's one of those ones that will be on a, you know... 20 craziest red yeah. card compilations yeah. on YouTube with like that was it was wild and uh yeah also uh incredibly embarrassing by Marco Silva in his post match yeah conferences I just don't understand how you think that isn't a red um yeah. you know the referee looked at one replay and was like okay yeah okay bye yeah yeah, that that's definitely wrong. Um, but I do agree with some criticism of this red card in that how did the referee not give this on the pitch? Um, like why did this have to go to VAR? Um, it was so late. It's so high. It's so reckless. You know, how mm. does any of the on-field referees not see this and say, "Yeah, you need to." He needs to walk. Um. And then, yeah, just Sean Longstaff's neck snapping backwards um, is, you know, not a fun thing to see. Yeah. Um, but, you know, rightfully sent off. Um, yeah, he didn't even complain, you know. It's one of those things where, like, all his teammates are complaining, and he just, like, is like, yeah, okay. Um, yeah. And casually walks off. Um, and then there was a little bit of tension about this game because... You know, Newcastle have been doing a lot of stuff well, you know, holding possession and getting lots of shots, but they've not been super clinical recently. Yeah. Um, probably due to every single player being absolutely exhausted. And, you know, in those moments, you need a big player to step up. And for Newcastle, that is one 17 year old Lewis Miley, yeah. uh, the youngest English assister in Champions League history, the fifth youngest. Uh, appear appearance, like maker, yeah, appearance maker in Premier League history. Um, and with this goal, uh, he's the youngest goal scorer since 2009 when Macheta scored for Manchester United. My God, yeah, he's the youngest goal scorer for Newcastle since a like. I think barely 17-year-old James Milner scored yeah, for us Milner. in 2004. That's crazy. Um, I've said a little bit about uh, Lewis Miley on this podcast already, but I will continue with just some fun facts about him. Okay. Uh, one, 
he speaks fluent French. Does he? Um, he huh. is. Yeah, he got the highest marks you can get. I don't know the English school, uh-huh. you know, system. Um, A's. Yeah. Yeah. A level, whatever. A star. A star French. Mm-hmm. Um, he is one of four brothers. Three of them are at Newcastle, and the fourth. Can you tell me what club he's at? What's that? No, he plays for no, Sunderland. Oh, boo! Um, but are he... they older or younger than him? Younger. He's the second oh. oldest. Oh. So his older brother plays for the Newcastle U18s. Um, he obviously he plays for the. He's a decent prospect. Like he made a couple preseason. Appearances okay. for Newcastle, but um, that's pretty much it. He sometimes trains with the first team, but not a serious, you know, right? You know, star boy type player. Yeah. Uh, then you have Lewis, and then you have the youngest brother also plays for Newcastle. He's in like a, the under eights team. Um, mm-hmm. And uh there's a middle brother who's like 13 or something who plays for Sunderland but Lewis Miley says that he's a massive Newcastle supporter um which is funny um and you know it makes sense they're all from Newcastle so yeah um and then uh just the way Eddie Howe describes Lewis Miley um he describes him as a player with a vision beyond his years um so that's the the number one thing that he has, um, which you know makes sense. He, I would say, his two biggest strengths are finding passes while under pressure and interceptions, um, and he is also a very cool kid. Yeah, I'm curious. Thanks for more context on him. I'm I'm curious. Where you slash Newcastle fans, and I understand that you don't always share the same opinions as everyone. Where does Lewis Miley stand alongside the likes of Zaire Emery, Gavi, Pedri a few years ago? These players. Are you are you all sort of touting him as in that pantheon? Or are we not there yet? Newcastle fan some Newcastle fans certainly consider him like a Zaire Emery-esque prospect Mm. um you know I will if I had to give like a uh like a level to him I would say his potential is like the potential of Alex Scott last year um Mm. when he was still a Bristol City player Mm. like that's a similar level of potential um you know um i I don't know much about what alex scott has gotten on to this made a few appearances in bournemouth yeah he's been Um, he came injured got it yeah um and then in terms of like players who have come through at newcastle he's way 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 more highly rated than the longstaff brothers longstaffs yeah I'm trying to think before that who was the youngsters who came through. Um, Couldn't tell you. Yeah, on, it's it's really hard for me to come up with. I mean, uh, yeah, yeah, with midfielders who have come through the academy. Um, 
you know, he's he's way more hyped than, you know, Rolando Aarons. You know, he was yeah. once a hot prospect. Um, but yeah. Um, I'm trying to think of another player that is I would rank him similarly to in terms of potential. Uh, what about Ryan Sessegnon when he first like broke through? I would say very similar to Ryan Sessegnon. Yeah. I think that's a pretty good a pretty good shout. Yeah. Um maybe yeah, well, very exciting. Sim- okay, got it. Um more so than Charlie Patino, the yeah. Arsenal kid. Doing very pretty very well on loan this season. Yeah. Pretty similar to Archie Gray at Leeds. Okay. Yeah, also very exciting. Um um maybe similar potential but s- slightly worse right now than Jamie Bino Gittens. Ooh, yeah. These are just okay. his his teammates in the England in the under under 18s, yeah. Yeah. Um Who else could he compare to? Uh yeah, that's it. Yeah, you've done pretty well there. It's good context. Yeah, he's a he's. I think the thing I'm most excited about is, and uh, so we'll, I'll start with you know Eddie Howe says that he is like the most attentive player during training, and that he's always mm. you know when he's not in the training, he is watching one of the other midfielders and trying to copy what they do. Yeah, the next time he's on the training. Um. And you see this in his game. He does a lot of things that are very similar to Sean Longstaff, like the abusing space that is you know, left open by Newcastle's right yeah. back, right wing uh, combination. Um, so like Sean Longstaff loves to make that run to the byline um, and then get played in. So, you know, you've seen Lewis Miley do a ton of that. Uh, Lewis Miley is also like a big, strong guy. So he's been doing a lot of the Joe Linton you know, bullying players, yeah. um, which has been cool. Um, and then he's also, he does all the little like ball rolls and, you know, uh, step overs out of pressure that Bruno Guimaraes does. So it's very cool to watch him play in like pretty much, you know, so many different positions. Um, yeah, very yeah. hot, very hot prospect. Very exciting. Very exciting and a very exciting return to form in the Premier League for Newcastle. The 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 last question I'm gonna throw at you is um is West Ham are on twenty seven points, Newcastle on twenty nine. If Newcastle are top four candidates, are West Ham United also top four candidates? I think the question is if Newcastle are top four candidates, why can't West Ham be? Uh, ah, I like that framing. Yeah, slightly yeah. different framing, but I think that describes West Ham a lot better. Um, yeah, y- why can't West Ham be? You know, if if West Ham, I, I don't know who your next couple fixtures are. Oh, <laughs> never mind. Yeah. Man U, Arsenal, Brighton. Tough. Man U, um, I think we can... No, I mean, I don't think that's as terrible as, as you might think because right, Man U are right. terrible. Uh, and Brighton aren't that great this season. But yes. Yeah, and ours um, dog shit. Well, um, not really, but 
Arsenal will beat <laughs> us comfortably, I think. But but Manu and Brighton, I, I don't think we should be too scared of. We're right there with them, sandwiched in between. So right, you know. yeah. I'm just saying it is a incredibly tight table. You know, even for Brighton, who we've at times talked about being down and out, and at times talked about being right back in the thick of things. You know, just a couple of fixtures go your way. You know, three straight wins, and you know, all of a sudden you're doing incredibly well. Um, yeah. And it's not like you're, there aren't these opportunities because tons of other sides are dropping points like flies. You know, Man City can't stop dropping points right now. Yeah. Um, Liverpool have been dropping points. Arsenal have dropped points. You know, Newcastle and Tottenham, you know, both seem to have issues, you know, really holding on till the last minute. Um, yeah. Manchester United or Manchester United. So there are so many opportunities. Um, for a team like West Ham or Brighton to sneak right back up it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, looking forward to the run-in over the Christmas break. Okay, that's Newcastle and West Ham talked about. Blake, where would you like to go next? Um, I guess Everton, Burnley. Yeah. Uh, just because Everton are on a four-game... Wow. Uh, four win, four clean sheets run, um, where they look incredible. Um, and I would like to give my almost weekly uh, plaudits to James Tarkovsky, uh, who, as much as you hate him, is a very, very solid defender, especially under Sean Dyche. Um, yeah, that's pretty much it. And Burnley are yikes. Yeah, um, would you sack would you sack company? I I feel like they would I no, cuz I'm mm. a big like you know, never believes in sacking unless things are going horrifically. Like there's a mutiny brewing in the locker room kind of badly. Yeah. Um you know, if if players are still buying into the system, I I get it, but uh, Burnley were recently taken over, right? So they've got new yes. owners, and you know, new owners get itchy, and you know, tend to have pretty quick trigger figures fingers. Um, yeah. So that's true. Yeah. Um. You know why not? You know, and. I, I wonder if Vincent Company is the type of manager where if he got sacked at Burnley, he would get snapped up at a reasonably sized club. Um, you know, because, you know, we saw in the championship, you know, when you have one of the better squads in your league, Vincent Company can do something really nicely with it. That's true. Um, That's true. I just don't think, you know, like pretty much none of the players they have, you know, made the step up. You know, all these players look super underwhelming. So even like Premier League stalwarts like Josh Brownhill, you know, have had yeah. had poor Don't years. Don't look any any good. So yeah. no, very yeah, true. Yeah, I I I probably also stick with company for the for the championship rebuild um, that seems inevitable at this po- at, at this point. Um, yeah. The one thing I don't get is, you know, what could you describe the last eighteen months for Burnley, if not? A championship rebuild 
Um, right. You know, they pretty much yeah. went down. They got rid of all the dead wood. They brought in all new players, came back up, yeah. and are now underperforming. You know, yeah. it, are you just going to bin all these players off? You know, they're all pretty young. Well, yeah, no, I think the idea is that you keep them right and, and you go back up. I think, and, and so I, I suppose that you convince them, right, uh, that the, the project is worth it. And I think that you do that by keeping Vincent company and putting your eggs in that basket. Um, because, yeah, I, I think they they will probably go back down and then destroy the championship again. And what, what's a good, a good comparison here maybe is like Fulham. And obviously they don't want to prolong it like Fulham have done over the last few years. But Fulham seem to have finally reached a place where they have the tools uh, to be a solid Premier League side that uh, won't be in danger of relegation, right? Um, and that's like the, the, the step that a lot of these clubs need to take in order to, you know, to just stabilize. Um, so maybe Burnley can do that, but a little bit quicker. Um, what yeah, they don't want I to guess... be is a Norwich, right? Um, yo-yoing right. constantly. Languishing. Yeah, yeah. And um, then languishing in mid-table in the champ. Yeah, you know, I guess the, the three parachute payments over five years system, you know, works if you're Fulham. You know, it made you a shit ton of money and now it's paying off, you know, or it goes really poorly and you end up being a Norwich, so. Um, yeah, true. Yeah. Man. <laughs> a sad life to be a Norwich supporter. Um, truly. Truly. But, yeah, that, that's all I really wanted to say about Everton. Um, pretty incredible um, run by them. Thank goodness, you know, it makes Newcastle's shellacking at Goodison to be much more respectable. Um, okay, um, let's move on uh, to talk about Aston Villa Brentford. Because for a while, this looked like yeah. it was going to be one of those slip-ups at the top of the table. Um, Aston Villa, who are one point off top. I believe at one point they were top um, in the last three or four days. Um, this was a late, uh, a late comeback by Villa, um, capped off by, I want to say, something like 11 yellow cards, two red cards. I, I think both managers got yellow cards. Um, it was pretty, uh, <laughs> it was pretty fun. Um, yeah, it was, it was crazy, wasn't it? Pretty fun for the neutral. Um, Ben me with a, you know, kind of the turning point, I would say, of the mm. game. Although Villa had been building pressure, but it did feel like the the point where the cauldron boiled over. Um, just kind hasn't of hasn't like been a, sent off in uh, ten years, Ben me. Just to interject really fast. That's pretty impressive, yeah. uh, especially for a central defender. All right, yeah, um, and especially for like a pretty hot-headed dude at times. Um, you can be, you know, uh, yeah. like um, who's the player who was famously never sent off in his career? Is that Jamie it's not Phil Neville? I know Carragher. Who's Carragher? It is, I don't think so. Pretty oh. sure Carragher got sent off. Um, 
but whoever it is you know he talked about how he like just sucked up to the referee so much that you know he yeah pretty much you know befriended his way to never getting a red card uh ben me is the type of player who you know if his team are scrapping he's usually in the middle of it trying to pull players apart um which you know believe it or not does not do does not diffuse situations um but yeah yeah, pretty rash challenge pretty clear red card you know it's one of those challenges they're trying to get out of the game um and then you know alex moreno returns from injury and uh scores the equalizer and ollie Watkins scores the game winner but what i wanted to talk to you about was neil mape wasting time while brentford are losing one amazing to two. amazing it just do you think he forgot who he played for like well possibly seeing as he's an idiot um i don't know man why the hell is neil mope it's astonishing that he's even playing for brentford and I know I'm bitter because he scored against us somehow. And he's actually, I mean, I don't know. Weirdly, he's like been fairly effective for Brentford this season in an underwhelming season. I don't know. Neil Mopé is such a strange player. I don't understand why Brentford even brought him back. Because he sort of seems like anti what the vibe of the club is. But uh, I guess. Yeah. I mean, but who's, really... who's the biggest shithouse? Emmy Martinez or Neil Mopé? Because they both suck. Uh, I think Emmy Martinez because on top of it, Emmy Martinez is a decent shot stopper. That's true. You know, as much as Neil Mape is throwing his, you know, the shit little ratty face around. Uh, That's true. You know, he's you know he's not going to score against you. So that's um, true. That is true. And um, Ollie Watkins celebrating his winner. Um, specifically toward one Brentford fan that he subsequently said was giving him abuse the entire match. Now, said that the Brentford fan wasn't giving him racist abuse, a low bar, but that he was saying nasty stuff, personal stuff about his family and etc. Um, so that was a fun moment, I'm sure, for him to celebrate in the face of that Brentford fan. But it, it gets me thinking, though, I mean, it's sort of a straightforward answer, I think, especially on this podcast, but... I, maybe it's more of a point I want to bring up again. I think we forget that these players, uh, if you put aside any sort of homophobic or sexist or racist chanting from fans, you know, really super incredibly egregious stuff, like illegal stuff, let's say, put aside the illegal stuff. These players have to tune out horrible, horrible stuff all the time, every single time they play. And I just think, you know, the things that fans think that they can get away with slash do get away with on a weekly basis is quite something. I've never played in front of a crowd um, because obviously I've never been at a level where anybody cares to abuse me. Um, But I I don't know how I would... I I think it would push me away from the game, uh, you know, if I had to sit, stand there and listen to abuse all the time. Uh, Peter Crouch has talked about it pretty... Uh, openly about the way it affected him, um, sort of the way that fans would try and get in his head about his physicality, especially. Um, but yeah, I don't know. That sort of makes me sad because there's got to be a way that we keep the passion of football and the fieriness of football without resorting to just 
being horrible um, and uninclusive? Uh, I don't know. I don't know how close we are to that point, unfortunately. No, I think we're far, uh, but but uh, but yeah. Because yeah, I think at the core of it, you know, it takes one person being really shitty to, you know, you kick something off. Um, you know, like who cares if there's a hundred perfectly well behaved but passionate cheering fans if there's you know one guy you know hurling racist abuse you know that's what's going to yeah. be heard um and you know that's what's going to you know paint yeah. an entire fan base um so you know it's the ugly side of football um and you know i think the the way it's handled is pretty much the only way you can handle it you know you report them to the police they either get arrested or they don't well they don't um, yeah but you know, for the most part, you get banned. And, you know, even though stadium bans are not the most effective things, um, it is still one barrier to entrance, you know, that, yeah. you know, it might not keep every racist out, but, you know, you might keep it, four out of every 10 yeah. racists out. And that's slightly better. So start whittling them down. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Yeah. Um, um, yeah, I, but actually, I suppose, yeah. Go, go. Uh, shout out Newcastle for uh, they reported a turf um, who was at one of the Newcastle games uh, and got them arrested. So yeah, that was very cool. Um, okay. So yeah, good does exist. Um, good does somewhere. exist somewhere in pockets. Um, yeah, Villa one point off the top level with Liverpool after their. Horrible nil-nil draw with Manu, which frankly I do not want to discuss. Um, uh, other interesting matches: Man City Palace, Blake. I mean, certainly interesting. Um, yeah. Um, I wanted to ask you a really quick question about Ollie Watkins. Um, Go ahead. Who has Ollie Watkins made more appearances for? Aston Villa or Brentford? Brentford. That is Brentford. Um, yeah, that is Brentford. he was there forever. Uh, yes. Uh, who did he score more goals for, Aston Villa or Brentford? Oh, got more for Villa now. Yes, he does. He has Excellent. scored more goals in fewer appearances for Villa than he did Brentford, yeah. which is wild to me because when he was the Brentford main man... Yeah, he was just destroying. He, yeah, it was weekly. Uh, yeah, he would get a goal. So. No, I, 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 and it is also interesting because when he first moved to Villa, it wasn't happening for him. I think we forget At that earlier, he's really gone. Sorry, yeah. I was gonna say earlier, you know, earlier this year, you know, it has not been working sure. for him at times. Uh, yeah, we forget that he he went supernova under Emery. Right, Emery came in last year, he exploded, um, and he had a good patch, maybe under early Gerard tenure, possibly. Um, but prior to that, I mean, he wasn't doing anything special and he was sort of being lumped in with, um, Adam Armstrong at Southampton, right? Um, two players that came up from the championship and people like, oh, prolific in the championship, but can they make that transition? But obviously now he's, he's the guy, but, um, but yeah, yeah. Very interesting. 
great goal scoring yeah. record he has for them. Yeah, let's uh, talk Man City Crystal Palace. Um, I did not watch this game, but I believe you did, maybe? Yeah, I did. I had at least half an eye on it, slash full eyes on it for a while. Um, I don't know. I just, I don't know how to feel about Man City at this point. They they played well, like they always do. Um, and Rodri is particularly important for them. Um they should have won this game, uh, but they allowed... The, the, this is the new thing that I'm seeing. I feel like they're allowing teams back into the game where previously they wouldn't have. So I believe, you know, they're 2-0 up uh, by the 75th minute. They've had Jack Grealish running riot on, on the Palace defenders all game, right? And just scoring for the third match in a row. And then Palace score this really, really wor- well-worked team goal. And, you know, it's like it gives them a little bit of a spark, a little bit of hope. But City are kind of like, okay, like, we can deal with this kind of thing. And then suddenly, past the 88th minute, it starts to get more and more nervy and more and more nervy. And then Phil Foden just makes an absolutely insane challenge in the box. Nearly breaks his foot in the process. And then they have, like, a, you know, a Michael Elise who just is absolutely brimming with arrogance in a, I suppose, a good way, uh, who just slots a penalty on and it's 2-2 all of a sudden. And I, I don't know. I just, I, I can't put my finger on what's, what's up with City. Um, I'm not going to like backtrack from what I said last week. Like everybody needs to calm down. City are still City. Like, I don't think this is a sign of anything huge. Uh, You know, I think there's maybe two things. Uh, Number one, it is objectively uncharted territory trying to motivate players who have just won the treble and also won three Premier League titles in a row. Um, Jack Grealish has himself has talked about this, where he was like, off the back of that treble, at the beginning of the season, I was like, I can't find my motivation. Like, where's my motivation? And he's had to, he's had to figure out how else to motivate himself. And he said that the signing of Jeremy Doku was a big part of that. And then number two is the fact that Pep Guardiola likes to have his team purring at the at the the end of the season, right? So come come February, March, this time is when they start to be unstoppable and they go on these 20 game like win streaks. So, you know, obviously you can't count them out um until until the after the final day of the season, most likely. But yeah, um City, uh, uh, question marks on them. And then the only other thing I would say is that Roy Hodgson is in some sort of villain arc because he's been fighting players this season. He's been barking at referees and journalists. And now he's laughing at Pep Guardiola at the end of, uh, of the match. So, slightly strange vibes from him, but I guess to each yeah. their own. Yeah, like evil billionaire, like yeah. decrepit billionaire vibes. Yeah, uh, it's like everybody loved him for like 45 years. And now I think people are like, oh, is he kind of an asshole? Like, it's kind of almost a shame, I think. But no, didn't you have a grandpa who, you know, when he got older, just really stopped giving a shit about what people thought about him? Unfortunately, I didn't know my grandpas that well. One I didn't know. The other was only a lovely, lovely man until he passed away, and I was only seven, so I can't relate. But I'm I'm assuming you had... Yeah, I've uh, got your... Proxy granddads? Yeah, I've got your classic racist, uh, oh, shitty grandpa. Fun. Great. Um, 
yeah very stereotypical mm. um but i uh, actually you know i've got better than one racist grandpa i've you got two racist grandpa. oh but one of them is dead so okay uh, slightly better than the other one there you go um yeah, uh, you know, I don't really care about what Roy Hodgson does. You know, yeah, well, you know, whatever. I would say his legacies, unless he like you know comes Pretty out secure. as a racist. Yeah, and, yeah, you know, he, yeah, he he is where he is in my mind. Um, Fair enough. Yeah, uh, and good on Palace. You know, it was a fun match. Um, yeah, my, and they have as a coming back and stuff. So, you know, yeah, my take on the Foden challenge is just he straight up did not see whoever it was that he tackled. Um, Jeffrey Schlupp, maybe. I don't yeah. know if the, the player who went down. Um, Our beloved Jeffrey Schlupp. Yeah. Uh, that's, you know, th- those types of penalties happen. Um, they do. They do, but it was actually, a, a bit crazy. Yeah. Did Phil Foden actually break his foot? No, 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 no. That was like tongue-in-cheek. He did not. Got it. Yeah. Okay, cool. Um... um I, don't I think have the, anything else. I think what I, I want to say two, maybe two things. The big winners of this weekend, uh, I suppose, apart from well, no, the big clear winners of this weekend are Arsenal because um, Liverpool dropped points, City dropped points, Villa were shaky, um, and I think that it was a boring match that they played against Brighton, but they dispatched Brighton in a way that with an efficiency, right that. Uh, we haven't seen from teams against Brighton recently. Um, Brighton have their own host of injury problems and and etc. And obviously, you know, aren't as well resourced as Arsenal and, and all this stuff. But still, you know, um, last season, if Arsenal had put aside Brighton 2-0, it would have been a pretty big deal. Um, and then I just want to say, I think Havertz, Havertz, dude, he's justifying his signing now. Because he's su- no. he's turned yeah he is he's turning into a solid Premier League player here, I think. Um, he's got goals. He's impacting games. He's had a good month or two. Um, so all I'm saying he's is had maybe one good month. I don't want to say that he's justifying signing, but I do want to say I see the vision from Arteta. Is that fair? Like if if Havertz plays like this for the rest of the season, then you can say okay, I understand why. Mikel Arteta wanted to sign him, whereas two months ago we were like, "Why the fuck did Mikel Arteta sign this guy? Like, what's he bringing?" You know what I mean? Let me quote someone I respect very dearly. You're gonna quote me. We all need to calm down. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, one good month does okay. not a okay. good player make. Fair enough. Um, Fair enough. But there's signs. There's signs. Uh, the sure. other thing, uh, yeah. I, yeah, signs of improvement are better than you know what he did previously. So. Um, that's true. The the other only other thing I want to say I I want to talk about Chelsea because I hate Chelsea. But Raheem Sterling, okay, this man. Every time I see him, he is somehow, even though he's been playing since about the age of fifteen, is in he's in peak physical fitness right now. I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's the haircut change or what. He's just looking sleek. But I don't think there's any other player in the Premier League who is as quick as him on the acceleration. And also on the ball. Uh, like, Poch has given him the license to run at players, and it is truly terrifying. Like, I think it's, it's, it's honestly Hazard-esque, the way he's getting at players with the ball. And he can't, he doesn't do it all the time. Um, 
but I think in another in any other functioning team, he could he would have been a candidate for player of the season just because of the way that he impacts as an attacking player. It's, it's really something to watch this season. And I'm really sad that Southgate has sort of cast him aside because I think even if he wasn't part of the starting eleven for England as an impact player, I mean it's just he's terrifying. Like I don't I wouldn't know what to do if I was a defender. It's like he's figured out how to just arrows straight at players with the ball at his feet um so i guess yeah just wanted to highlight that but I, that that's that that i'm done very fair um yeah. yeah um i will say his unfortunately he has never shooken the bad trait of just being a absolutely shameless diver yeah um, he does love a dive yeah, he's, I think, maybe the worst in the Prem about it. Um, yeah. And, yeah, uh, that's it. Yeah. Um, okay, that's a one. You know, we're pretty much, we're bang on one hour. We talked about pretty much every match that happened. Yeah. Um, but I have a feeling that we've received an email. <gasps> have we, have we, have we? I didn't check. Oh my god. Okay, hang on. I've got to I've got to I've got to get this up. Uh-oh. Okay. Bear with me. Bear with me. Okay. We da, da, da. We received an email from one Mr. Oh, I don't know how to pronounce this name. How do you pronounce this name, Blake? Oh, it's Blake Munchell. Okay. It um, is from myself, so that I would course. not forget to ask okay. on the pod. Is it from you, or is it on behalf of someone else via you? No, this is straight up from me. This is oh. a question that I've, I think about all the time, okay. uh, and I always change my answer about. So, Shall I read it out? Yeah, go ahead. It says, would you rather have, one, center forward who gets 20 goals, two, a center forward who gets 20 assists, or three, a center forward who gets 10 goals and 10 assists. Excellent, excellent question. Um, can I answer it? Yes. My instinct is number two, a center forward who gets 20 assists. And I don't know whether that's because my favorite player in the Premier League history is Dimitar Berbatov, and he said, that he always used to prefer getting assists to goals, and he was a centre forward. Um, but I suppose the the thinking behind that is that if you're a centre forward who gets twenty assists, you're going to get some goals in there. Are you saying twenty assists and no goals, like zero goals? Yeah, I think so. Still, For I think I'd still stick with it because I think it speaks to a fluid attacking team if you are distributing goals amongst different players and not just relying solely on one guy who's scoring 20 goals a season and 10 goals 10 assists impressive but midfielders can get that so yeah i so one i guess we should look at this by the types of players who have gotten each of these so you know okay a center forward or a striker getting 20 goals usually your top two, three, four top goal scorers score 20 goals. 
mm. in a season in the last five to seven years. Um, it's not always been that way, but usually you have a handful of players getting, you know, 20 goals a season. Yeah. Um, if you look at 10 goals, 10 assists, yeah, usually you've got five or six players who are getting that. But if you look at assists, usually every three or four years you get one player who gets 20 assists. Um, right. You know, it's not super Mess up hustle. Yeah. Right. Kevin De Bruyne, Thierry yeah. Henry, you yeah. know, like those are your... Like nobody, yeah. Exactly. Like, you know, these things just don't... A, a player like that does not come very often. So for a while, that was my answer. But then the question is, what would I rather have? Um, and I think what that comes down to is, you know, what happens if you lose that player? Which, you know, I guess if you're City and you lose your 20 assists this season, you know, attacking midfielder, you just chug on like normal. Um, yeah. But, you know, I thought that the 10 goals and 10 assists is what right now I think I would want because it means that you're bringing other players into the fold. You know, other players are assisting you, you're assisting other players, you know, even if there's a worse version of that player in that position, you know, they're still going to get some goals and get some assists. Um, yeah. And the rest of the team can help. Whereas if you lose a 20 goal a season striker, you know, it's very rare that your backup striker is going to get you 20 goals. Um, same with assists. So I go back and forth between two and three. But I think overall, my answer would never be a center forward who can get you 20 goals when you can have someone who gets you 20 assists. Yeah. So I think my, uh, my answer is 20 assists and then pretty equally 20 goals or 10 goals, 10 assists. Yeah. Okay. No, I can see that line of thinking. Well thought out. Yeah. Thank you. Um, yeah. Now, what, uh, what about you in your season? Would Would you rather get twenty goals, twenty assists, or ten? I would rather get twenty 10? goals. Yeah. Me too. Um, me too. <laughs> yeah. As although I do recently, I do rack up a lot of assists over goals. Um, mm. But it depends on the position I play. So. Okay. Uh, if I play as a winger, I am going exclusively for goals. You know, I am not trying to assist at all. I'm trying to be an inside forward, you know, get shots across the body of the goalkeeper. Um, yeah. But when I play deeper, um, yeah, it's definitely assists. Yeah. Uh, because assists also means I have to run less. So, yeah, that's nicer on my stamina. Um, <laughs> okay. Um, anything else? Nope, I'm all good. Okay, well, this has been episode 15 of season four of the Peaked Too Early podcast. Thank you very much for listening. Please leave us a rating and a review. Send us an email at thep2ep at gmail.com. Um, follow us on Twitter. And until next time, take care. Bye. I'm standing.